the uh, topic, of course, is Yirmiyahu. And uh, before we start with a particular uh, text today, I um, just wanted to uh, reflect on the fact that the some of the chapters of Yirmiyahu, 52 chapters, some of them have been chosen as the Haftorah, or the Haftorot, for different times of the year. Um, of course, the Haftorot after Tishabov, the Haftorot of Consolation, are not coming from Yirmiyahu. The, Haftorot, the seven Haftorot of Consolation are from Yeshayahu, all seven of them, from the second half of Yeshayahu, Shiva Dinechemta. But the Haftarot before Tishabov, which are three, there's a series of three Haftarot that are recited before Tishabov. Two of those three are from Yirmiyahu. They are, in fact, the first couple of chapters of Yirmiyahu. Three weeks before Tishabov, we start with three Shabbatot before we start with the beginning of Yirmiyahu, Tivrei Yirmiyahu. And then the next week, we continue with the second chapter of Yirmiyahu. So the Haftarot of Yirmiyahu are actually preceding Tishabov, and actually the on Tishabov itself, the Haftorah of Tishabov itself, in the morning of Tishabov there's a Haftorah, which we'll take a look at uh, this morning, that's also from Yirmiyahu, that's chapters chapters 8 and 9 of Yirmiyahu. So actually, the holiday of, or the holiday, the, the day of Tishabov is, which is the day of, of mourning and the fast day. What precedes it is Yirmiyahu, and what we read on, uh, on, uh, on uh, Tishabov is also from Yirmiyahu. It's interesting. I was thinking that the Haftorah that immediately precedes Tishabov is not from Yirmiyahu. The Haftorah that precedes Tishabov immediately, which we call Shabbat Chazon, that Haftorah is from Yeshayahu. That's actually chapter one of Yeshayahu. Week, week one and two are the first two chapters of Yirmiyahu. Week three, which is right before Tishabov, is the first chapter of Yeshayahu. So I had, was thinking about that last night, what, what that's about, and I, I believe the following, that the, uh, the Haftarot that we recite, generally speaking, there's a connection between the Haftarah and the, uh, and the, and the Parsha. Generally, that's true, and we actually typically try to we try to find the link between the haftorah and the parsha. That is not always true, and I think that the haftorot of Yirmiyahu that we read three weeks before Tishabov, two weeks before Tishabov, have nothing to do with the parsha. In fact, it's not always the same parsha. Sometimes there's a double parsha, the, usually a double parsha at the end of Bar Sometimes it's one parsha. So it's really not about the parsha. Those haftarot are the time of the year before we mark uh, the National Day of Jewish Mourning. So we read the parsha for Yirmiyahu. I was thinking that the haftorah that we read before Tishabov, Yeshayahu, is not so. The haftorah of Yeshayahu, Chazon, parsha's Chazon, is always read the same parsha. It's always parsha Dvarim. We always start the book of Dvarim before Tishabov. And that's hard. It's not an accident. It's it's always the same way, and I think the and the haft, and the book of Devarim uh, begins with the very first thing we're told. And this is what Moshe teaches us. And the first thing Moshe says in the book of Devarim is the fact that he appointed judges. He appointed judges for all of Israel, and the second thing he talks about 
is the episode of the uh, of the uh, Miraguin. Those, that's how the book of Devarim starts with appointing judges, and then the episode of the, of the spy episode. And actually, the two the, those two were actually connected in the Chumash because the idea of judging is making making the right decision. If you don't know what to do, says Moshe, come to me, I'll tell you what to do. And then the story of the spies, as described in the book of Devarim, is exactly that. The, the, the scouts come back, spies return, and the people, based on the, what the spies are saying, make a decision not to go into the land. And Moshe intervenes, says, don't, don't do that. Do what I tell you to do. And they refuse to listen. So that's how the book of Devarim begins. So the incident of the spies, actually, is an event that the tradition, our rabbinic tradition, assigns to Watishabov. Right? The the two great sins of the desert, the first is the golden calf, that the tradition ascribes to Shivasabatamus. And the second incident, the spy episode, that takes place on Tishabov, according to rabbinic tradition. So it's very appropriate that we read the book of Devarim always before Tishabov, without exception, always. And the Haftorah of Chazon, Parshat Chazon, is all about justice. Tzion b'mishpati podeh. That's how the Haftorah ends. Tzion is redeemed through, through Mishpat. And that's how the Book of Dvarim begins. Shoftim is the beginning of Sefer Dvarim. So I was thinking that actually, the reason that we actually read the Haftorah from Yeshayah before Tishabov is because the Haftorah of Yeshayah is not just related to, to Tishabov, but it's also related to the uh, Parsha. But the other two after wrote that we recite that are both from the Yerbiyahu, and nothing to do with the parsha. It's simply about Tishabov. They're about the impending destruction, the doom, the foretelling of the tragedy, and all that. And that the Haftorah on Tishabov is also Yerbiyahu. So the, our tradition assigns this time of the year and the mourning of the Jewish people, the, the one who actually is uh, the person who represents the calamity of destruction in the morning and the crying for the morning as well, the lamenting, that's, uh, that's Yermio, that's our, that's our subject. So I was thinking about it. It's also very interesting, by the way, I wondered about this for many years, that on Tishabov, we are reading, uh, the week before Tishabov, we start the book of Dvarim. A book, by the way, which the book of Yermio and the book of Dvarim have, 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 have intimate connections, as we'll see language-wise and, and theme-wise. They're intimately connected. The, um, the Torah reading on Tisha B'Av, Tisha B'Av morning. So what do we read on Tisha B'Av morning? We read on Tisha B'Av morning, uh, it starts with Kitorid Banim, Ubnei Banim, Noshantem Ba'aretz, which is taken from Parshat Vayetchanan, the Parsha after Tvarim. So you gotta wonder, you gotta wonder about to the degree to which the tradition reflects the fact that Yermio and Sefer Devarim are tied together, and that the core readings actually around Tishabav from the Torah, Sefer Devarim, and from the pr- prophetic writings is, is Yermiyahu. So the, clearly the tradition understands that these two, two books are very much connected to each other. So that's my way of introduction. So if you've had a chance to look through Yermio to some extent, you see that there is an awful lot of uh, prophesying about impending destruction, exile, doom, terrible stuff. And this uh, takes place uh, in many of the chapters of the book. And I would add that it's quite repetitive as well. I'm not going to go through all of these. 
Uh, the repetition, I think, is intentional. It's not accidental. He's repeating the same message over and over again for any number of reasons that we'll get to. So I thought we would pick out, at least at this point, one of the uh, prophecies about the destruction. And I thought a good one to pick out would be one of the, what we read on, on Tishim of itself, which is uh, basically chapter 8 and chapter 9. Not all of it, but most of chapter 8 and 9 of Yemio went to take a look to choose. I want, don't want to spend all our time on prophecies of destruction, doom, and it's uh, very depressing. Uh, but, and, and the book has much more than that to it, by the way. But we should, we've till now not really talked about that very much, so we should pick out one section. So at the section I thought it would be appropriate would be chapter 8, beginning in verse 13, which is the Haftorah for Tishim of Morty. And it begins with a very strange uh, phrase, hard to know what it means. Asof asifem ne'um Hashem. Asof asifem. Asof asifem, which is chapter 8, verse 13. So, it's strange, because the word asaf, alaf, samach, pei, means to gather, to gather. Whereas sof is to gather. But asifem is actually a different word. Right, the word sof actually, right? Tisafe, right? Nispeh. Half we had that in the parsha. Half tisfeh tzadikim im 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 rasha with Abraham's prayer to God. Would you tisfeh when the word sof? Would you would you bring an end to the, the righteous together with the with the villainous? That's Abraham's argument with God in Sodom. So tisfeh is from the word sof, but asof is not from the word sof. Asof is from the word asaf. So what did he make? Obviously, it's a play on Asof Asifem. Now, it is true that sometimes the word Asaf, to gather in, can mean the end. For example, we had in the Yosef El-Amav. We had this in the parasha too. Yosef El-Amav. So Dez, he's gathered into his people. And it says it's not an end. He's, 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 he's part of a, a, a bigger tradition. Yosef El-Amav. So we have in any event, Asof Asifem Neum Hashem, which plays on Asaf and Sof, so let's, typically it's translated as, I will make an end to them. Asof Asifem Neum Hashem. Now, having said that, this, this uh, verse begins with God's statement, I'll make an end to these people. We have to bear in mind, and this is true in general of the prophetic writings, especially Yirmiyahu, that that is not the only voice in the book. In fact, a very powerful uh, a statement that's found more than once in the earlier chapters that we didn't go through is I'm going to punish them, I'm going to subject them to terrible things, but I'm not going to finish them off. And that's a phrase that appears several times in the book. So we have to take Asof with many tons of salt. It doesn't mean God's going to finish us off, but it means it's going to be very bad. But it's not, God won't finish us off. There's always, within these uh, prophecies, there's always the other side of it, which is, there's always some, a chance of return, as we saw. There's always some hope for the future. Some will survive. And there's even, even promises of restoration that we'll get to later, which is very striking. We'll, we'll get to this later on. The promise of restoration, which I think is unique to Jeremiah, as we'll see. There's something unique to Yirmiyahu about this prophecy of restoration. And we'll get there. Anyway, so far, I will I will make an end to them. So 
I'm using the JPS translation. Uh, some of the phrases here are hard to translate. No grapes left on the vine, no figs on the fig tree. The leaves have withered. What I have given them is gone. But Tainuham, what I gave them, but Tainuham, Yavrun is past, is gone. Yes, now that is a good point, actually. That is a very good point. You're 100% right. Uh, not necessarily, you're, you're correct that this verse does remind us of the prophecy of your, yes, correct. But actually, elsewhere in Yermiyahu, there's an exact parallel to Yeshayahu's prophecy. And what Adele was pointing out is that in the beginning of Yeshayahu, there's a prophecy, there's a parable of, of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the of the vineyard. There's a very famous parable in the beginning of Isaiah, towards the very beginning of the, Gimel Peri Gimel, right in the beginning of, of the vineyard. And that parable of the vineyard has a parallel in the book, a very precise parallel in the book of Yermiel. So she suggests this verse already reminds us of that, which may be true. And I'm simply saying that in addition to this verse, there's a more precise parallel within Yermiel. Maybe we'll get to it. But it's, yes, the vineyard is, is, is used as, the, as a, a parable in Yeshua. That's very, actually a very important point. Thank you for that. Okay, now let's continue. Amar nachli yoshvim. So the second verse of the Haftorah, why are we sitting here? <coughs> Let us gather together. Again, the word heyosfu, let's gather together. And let's go. A mifzar is a fortified town. Let's go to the fortified cities. What, for what purpose? Not, not what you might think, that we'll survive, but rather Besham, it's better to die there. Let's go to the 45 and meet, and meet our doom, Besham. because our God has caused us to drink a bitter, a bitter drink, a bitter drink, Merosh, a bitter drink, for we have sinned unto God. So the verse is interesting for two reasons. First of all, the idea of going to the fortified city but we'd rather die in the fortified city than die alone in some other isolated place. That recalls for us a set of verses that Yermio goes back to very often, which is what we call the Tochacha of Sefer Dvarim. But in the admonition of Sefer Dvarim, which is chapter 28 of Sefer Dvarim, there's the opposite. In the admonition of Sefer Dvarim, very long chapter, terrible stuff. So that's chapter 28 of Dvarim. And there, it says the following. There it says, um, let's find that verse. Yeah. Chapter 28 of Devarim, verse talks about the enemy coming from a faraway place. It's another theme of, that's a basic theme of Yermiel, coming from far away. And then it says in verse 52 of chapter 28, so it talks about the enemy, it will shut you up. It will cause you, it's sovereign the word narrow, it will close you in. Close in on you, in all your towns, throughout your land, until every mighty, towering wall in which you trust has come down. So when the 52. 
verse tw chapter 28 of Devarim, verse 52. And there it talks about the fortified towns that you trusted in. The Tochachah the, the says you, you believed that you have security, but you have no security because even the places that you think are, are fortified, that are the, the, the Mivsarim, that those places will not bring you any, any, any security. You have the false hope, false expectations. That's the theme of the Tochacha, the theme of the Tocha. In Yirmiyahu, he takes it in a different direction. He has people saying, not let's go to the fortified cities because that's where we're safe, but rather let's go, we might as well die, die in our own cities, in our Rehamitzah, right? In the fortified cities. And by the way, in particular, I take note of the fact that in the very beginning of the book, when God tells Yirmiyahu what his job is, uh, Yirmiyahu is not so happy necessarily, but that's your task. This is what you are. And don't worry, says God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you. You're going to be totally safe. At the end of chapter 1, verse number 18, so I'm going to make you, God says to Yirmiyo, I'll make you a fortified place, a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls. They will attack you. They will not overcome you. So Yirmiyo himself is described as an Yirmiyotzar, as a fortified city. But that's a city that you can't actually capture. And over here in our uh, chapter, Haftorah, so here's the opposite. Here, the people say, why should we stay here isolated? Let's go, let's go to the cities. So it's a kind of a hopelessness and a recognition that no place is safe. Even the fortified places are not safe. That's the first half of this verse. And the second half of the verse, another phrase that appears many times in Yirmiyahu, many times, is the idea, Hashem elokeinu hadimanu, God has doomed us, he has caused us to drink. Rosh is something which is bitter. Drinking the bit, God has caused us to drink the bitter waters. And that's a, what? Exactly. Two things. So first of all, as Suri says, that appears in chapter 30 of Dvarim. That's chapter 30. It says, lest one person amongst you think there's, there's the covenant. And the covenant is for everybody. And the Torah says, maybe somebody is thinking in their own heart, uh, I will follow my own willful heart. I didn't count up the number of times in Yirmiyol that expression is found. I suspect it's at least 20 times, but I have to check that out. But many times. You, you read the book through, you can't miss it. And there, the person who decides secretly to follow his or her own willful heart the, the Torah says, the person says uh, that that person is called a shoresh pore rosh vilana, a kind of bitter, a, a, a person of, of bitterness. So the idea of, and then God will take uh, God's anger out against that particular person who secretly decides to do things counter to the covenant. Now the idea of being a, a bitter person, here it's being fed, being given, right? Being given bitter bitter waters is of course echoed in chapter 30 of Devarim, but it's of course a whole parish in the Chumash, which we call the Sota. That's exactly what the Sota story is. Chapter 30 of Deuteronomy is based on the Sota chapter. So the point is that 
the uh, expression over here, which appears many times in Yirmiyahu, that God has caused us to drink the bitter waters, Hashem, the first half of the verse, we have echoes of chapter 28 of Dvarim. The second half of the verse, we have echoes of chapter 30 of Dvarim, which reinforces the, excuse me? 29, I'm sorry, even better, even better. 29, 30 is repentance, right? 29 is correct, so it's 28 and 29, back to back, actually. So it's even better. So it's just another example that, and it makes total sense that the book of Yirmiyahu, of course, is constantly recalling verses from Sefer Devarim, comes back to my introduction this morning. That's probably why we are always reading, the, the Tishabav reading always starts. Tishabav always, the Shabbos before Tishabav is always, without exception, the beginning of Sefer Devarim. Because that's Sefer Devarim, the, all the warnings are found in Sefer Devarim. And the Torah reading from Tishabav is the second parasha in Sefer Devarim. Haftorah, of course, is Yirmiyahu. Okay, that's the way we begin now. And now the, let's just read through this depressing chapter. Hope for, hope for peace, but there is no good. Hope for some kind of healing, and there's terror. So the prophecy, people are hoping for good, hoping for relief. This is also very much at the center of the long admonition in Sefer Dvarim, which is not just about objective suffering, but it's a psychological. A lot of the suffering is psychological. And here as well, it's about the terror. It's about basically despair. We had hoped for good, but we're not seeing any good. We had hoped for some peace. There is no peace. And remember that this hasn't taken place yet. In other words, the prophecy over here is we done nishma nacharatu sav from the north, and we hear the, the pounding of the hooves, right? This, he's prophesying what's going to be in the future. He hasn't. This, we haven't seen this yet. So Yirmiyo is is prophesying, imagining what people might be thinking, uh, what might, people might be thinking when they come to a recognition that the uh, that the, uh, the very uh, pessimistic uh, outlook is actually going to happen. And the next verse is similar. God says, I will send against you serpents that cannot be charmed. The idea of charming the serpent is, is rendering the, the serpent uh, innocuous. But the serpents that I will send, in the Hashim, there's no charmer for them. There's, Unlike, unlike the story in the Chumash of the of the of the uh, of the Nechashan with the Chashan Nechoshet, we don't charm them over there, but there's a way to. Moshe builds the batter, right? It makes the bronze the bronze serpent, and when they look at the bronze serpent, they are they are they are healed. Moshe actually, the people had actually requested from Moshe that please pray unto God that the snake should not bite us. God doesn't answer that prayer. The snakes do bite them, but there's a way to cure you. But in any event, there's a cure. That point is well taken. Here's Nechashim, Asha'en Lehem Lachash. There is no hope. Fine. Yes? Yes. 
Yeah, that could be so. Could be, could be right about. It's interesting. Could be that it plays off that as well. So let me just make a point about what Suri is saying, a general point about it, about the repetitions in the book of Yirmiyahu. There are, first of all, many repetitions. He says the same thing many times. And not just that, it's a book, we saw this last week, it's a book which actually recalls other pieces of the Bible. It sometimes even recalls them word for word. Remember, we read last week about the prophecy of Micha. Micha Morashti had the following prophecy, Sion, right? And it actually, it's very unusual, when you look up the book of Micha, you find the prophecy word for word. It's actually according it word for word. And we have that many places in Yermiyahu that he is alluding to, 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 to other prophecies. And I think the reason for that possibly, or hypothesize, that one of the reasons for the constant repetition, and not just repetition, but recalling earlier prophecies, is that one of the themes of Yermiyahu is found in Malachim too, but it's especially in Yermiyahu, the idea that God, God says, I have sent you prophets throughout all the ages. I've been sending you prophets for many, many years, many times, and you refuse to listen so that Yermiyahu sees himself, it's not just you did bad and you're being punished, but Yermiyahu sees himself as kind of the last straw, as the, as the culmination of a whole process, a whole set of, of misdeeds, and I'm not the first prophet to come. I'm just, unfortunately, the one who has to come at the end and give the bad news. But there were many, many other prophets who came before me. So it's not so surprising that in the book of Yirmiyahu, I mean, we find allusions to other texts all the time. But it's very pronounced in the book of Yirmiyahu. And I think in the case of Yirmiyahu, we can hypothesize that this may be the reason for it. Because he emphasizes so many times, I sent you other prophets the expression is hashkem v'shaloch. They got up and I, and, and I sent them. In other words, it was, it was a constant uh, attempt to move people in the, in the, in the, in the right direction. But, so let's just, this is how the Torah begins. I wanted to take a look uh, at the end of chapter 8. At the end of chapter 8, two verses. And one other point about this chapter and in general about Yermiyahu, that very often, very often, I'll speak for myself, maybe I just don't understand it, but very often I can't actually tell who's speaking. I can't tell if, if the people are speaking or if Yimyol himself is speaking, and sometimes I can't even tell if God is speaking. Those are the three possibilities. I guess the narrator would be the fourth possibility. But it's often hard to tell whether Yimyol speaks personally, whether he speaks on behalf of God, or speaks on behalf of the people. For example, in verse 21, of chapter 8. Al batami hoshbarti. Which means, Shever is shattered. My people, because my people were shattered, hoshbarti, I am shattered. Kodarti. Kodarti is darkness. Kodarti, I, I'm dejected. I'm, I'm, I'm mis miserable. Shama hechazikati, I'm seized by desolation. That sounds like it's Yermiel talking, actually. Even though his, mess, his, his role is to deliver a message of doom, but he's also one of the people. And then he continues. Now again, it's hard to know. Is Yermiel talking personally? 
or is it somebody in the nation talking and speaking for the people about his only experience but speaking for the people? It's hard to know. Let's, let's say it's Yirmiyahu talking. Is there no, another expression that appears more than once in the book, is there no bomb in Gilead? Very famous expression. Well, what does it mean there's no bomb in Gilead? In other words, why, how do we get to the situation? Someone's very sick. Why don't you go to the doctor? That's another, and there are doctors. There is bomb in Gilead. There, 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 there are those who could help us, who could cure us. Why are my people so sick? Why, are they, why haven't they been healed? Well, the answer is they didn't, either they didn't consult the doctor or the doctor wasn't, didn't listen to the doctor's advice. You've heard that before. Or maybe the doctor wasn't a really good doctor. That's another possibility. But and they're both true in Yemio. But you're questioning how how did we get to this mess in the first place? Why didn't we consult those who could have helped us? So it sounds like Yemio is talking. Mi'itain Roshi Mayim, very famous verses. V'yani makar dima v'yekayomam v'laila tchalalei batami. If my head were water, my eyes a source of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. So it sounds, it sounds like Yirmiyahu was talking, actually. And he actually identifies with the people, despite the fact that he criticizes them all the time. And actually, the next verse is very interesting as well, which is, here is chapter 9, verse 1. This is the Haftorah of Tishimah. <speaking in Hebrew> Oh, he says, I would, I would want to be in the, I wish I could be in the desert. The encampment for wayfarers, right? People that don't have a place. I would abandon my people. I would leave them. They're all adulterers and a band of, of rogues. It sounds like, now that we don't know that the chapters are not our division, basically. And that's a Christian division about the 12th century or something, which the Jews don't actually accept to about 200 years ago altogether. In any event, when you look at the, the way it's written in the, in the text, there's no break between this, these verses. The break comes later after verse number two. And it sounds like it's the same person talking, actually. It sounds like the first verse, Mi'itain Roshi Mayim, and the second verse, Mi'itnei Ba Midbar, are spoken by the same person, even though they actually are completely different verses. The first verse says, I would cry day and night for my people. If I had the ability, I would never stop crying. The second verse says, I wish I could leave them and abandon them altogether. They're all no good. It's the same person talking, both verses. And that is very important in terms of Yirmiyahu. On one hand, he, he bemoans the state of the people. And he's critical of them. And he blames them. Blames a lot of people, but he blames them also. At the same time, he says, these are, these are my people. I, I, I have to, I'm crying for them day and night. I cry about the situation, I cry for the people, etc. Now, what's next is interesting is he now singles out a particular thing they do wrong. Singles this out. And the, what's interesting is, this is, I find extremely interesting, it's not unique to Yermio, but it's very much here. What do, what do they do wrong? Now, there were adulterers, a band of rogues, whatever. kashtam sheket. He's, he's a citation from God. They bend their tongues like bows. They are valorous for treachery, not for honesty. They're dishonest. 
They advance from evil to evil. They don't listen to me, declares God. And now the example is given. One person, Ish, a person should be careful. It's a actually. A Mireya is a friend, but not necessarily a friend that you totally trust. So be careful, you know? What is saying the Godfather? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer, right? You got to be careful because you can't really trust anybody. Don't trust your brother. Why can't you trust your own brother? It's very striking. For your brother, we'll get to that in a minute. So here we have Reya. You can't trust the Ach and you can't trust the Reya. Don't trust your friend or one you think is your friend. And don't trust your own brother. Now, the expression Akov Yaakov, obviously, talks about the story, references Yaakov, who is a brother, but he's a brother, one might say, in this plain reading of, sorry, from the brother's standpoint, he's a brother who has betrayed his brother. In fact, Esav says it very clearly. When Esav comes into his father to get the blessing that Yisrael intended to give Esav, and uh, Yisrael says, who are you? Well, what do you mean, who am I? I'm, I'm Esav, your son. See, and Yisrael says, right? Who's the one who came before you, right? And I blessed him, and he's blessed. Esav says, what is this business? Did he call himself Jacob? He has, he's been crooked to me twice. He has circumvented me twice. He, st- he took my birthright and he stole my blessing. The bracha and the b'chorah. He took the birthright. Okay, Yesav sold him the birthright. That's true. But he sold him the birthright because he thought he was going to die of hunger. He came back tired. So Yaakov took advantage of that situation. And then the blessing. Of course, he simply pretends to be Esav. And that is in the Chumash. So Esav says, And whatever you think of that story, which is a story of an incredibly interesting story, but you see that the, in the prophetic writings, they understand that the Yaakov in that story is actually something problematic. Can't miss it. Yes, what do you want to say, Sarah? It could be possible. Right. It is true what you said the other day that Mireim, there's Reim and Mireim, that is true. Ish Mireim could be be careful from your friend. Right. It could be so. That's the Mireim. Later it says Reim. When you get to Ach, or maybe it's a play on Mireim. But later on, the whole Reim, Rachil Yaroch, that means actually a friend. In other words, trust nobody. You can't actually trust anybody, even your own brother. And actually, what's interesting is that the, uh, the uh, prophet here actually further references the story of Yaakov and Esau in the very next pasuk. 
next two psukim. Ish bireyeu yateru, v'emet lo yidaberu, limdu lishanam daber sheker, haveinu, they have, don't speak truth, they've trained this, they, themselves to speak falsely, it is certainly truer than the story of Yaakov, he doesn't tell the truth. Who are you? Anochi yeseb b'chorecha. Now what's equally true, by the way, as an aside, that in this, this is not a defense of Yaakov, but it is interesting that he is clearly does a very poor job of, uh, you know, he's, he's not a good liar, actually. Um, he comes in, how come you, who, who are you? How you back so soon? Oh, I'm, I'm, I am, he says, I, Anochi, I am Asaph. He says, I am Asaph. He says, I did everything you told me to do. I did everything you told me to do, right? Is always said from someone who doesn't actually know exactly what he's supposed to do, right? I remember when I was in high school. So the trick is when you go take a test and you don't have a clue what, you, what you're doing. Happened to me all the time. How do you write it in such a way that's so vague that it could be construed as actually, you know? So this is, Yaakov is very actually uncomfortable. He's not a very good liar. He's a pretty clever fellow, but he doesn't lie very well. And uh, so that's true. On the other hand, what he says, I am Ace of your, your son, is obviously their oldest son, is untrue. So obviously he speaks the untruth. And the next verse is like, Shiftecha betoche mirma, bimirma, meyanu datotinu mashem. You dwell amidst mirma. Mirma is deceit or deception, right? It's a negative word. Mirma is always a negative word. And you dwell amongst deception, says God. And through deception, you refuse to, to, to know me. You can't know God if you are deceptive. Now, of course, in the story of Yaakov and Esau, after, 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 after Esau complains that he can't, was Yaakov, Twice he has deceived me. Twice he's supplanted me. And Yitzhak's answer is, Your brother came to Mirma. Now, as much as the apologists try to explain Mirma in some positive sense, there is no way that the word Mirma can ever be positive. Mirma is always negative. And what? In the Shem story, it's 100% negative, right? That B'nai Yaakov spoke for Mirma. And they right, they spoke b'mirma. So that is a, the Shrem story where the Torah critiques everybody. Nobody gets off free there. So mirma is a negative term, and mirma is also played with in the case of Lavan. Not the word mirma, but right? Lama rimitani. Plays with mirma. Lama rimitani. Lavan is a ramai. Lama rimitani. Here it's interesting that Jacob is. Jacob is Israel. Jacob is us. Now, Jacob, the name Israel doesn't appear over here. Only the name Jacob appears. The name Israel always has a much more positive cast to it. Israel is also Yashar, which is the opposite of Yaakov. Yashar is straight, and Yaakov is crooked. But over here, it's also interesting, through Mirma, in deception, you refuse to, to know me. Right? The goal, as we'll see, the goal of this Haftorah, the goal of this section, is to know God. However, whatever that means, we'll see what it means to know God. This is the last verse of the Haftorah of Tishma. That's the goal. But what's interesting is that the verb lima'ain, to refuse, is a verb that appears in the book of Breshit three times. Three times you have lima'ain. The first time, the first, second time is Yosef. The first time is Jacob. 
when Jacob is told by, when Jacob is shown the coat of Joseph, the brothers send him the coat. They show him the coat. Father, do you recognize the coat? Do you recognize the coat? Is it the coat of your son? And Jacob says, Jacob recognizes it. He recognizes it right away. It's a special coat he gave to Yosef. Right? Right? It's the coat of my son. Maybe a wild animal ate him up. And all the sons and daughters, it says, arose to console him. But Jacob refuses to be consoled. He refuses to be consoled. He won't accept the fact that Joseph is dead. He suspects he's dead. But he refuses to be consoled. He's not going to sit shiva. Because the moment he sits shiva, he's saying Joseph is dead. He's not willing to accept that. Because bring me the body. He always sees a coat. So the father won't forget his son. That's the end of chapter 37. Right? 38 in the Torah is Yehuda and Tamar. So let's call it a digression. 39 begins Yosefu Rad Mitzrayma. And then we have the beginning of chapter 39. Wait, the next story about Joseph, Mrs. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar, who propositions Joseph. And the Torah says, Vayimaein. He refuses. Vayimaein. The Shoshelas. And that's why the Medrash says he saw his father's image. Because the Medrash picks up on the two Vayimaeins. They actually pretty much follow each other. If you take out Judah and Tamar, it's a separate story. The continuation of the Joseph story, that's the second time. Now, where's the third time? First, do we all know? It appears three times in Breshit. Where is time number three? Which is very interesting. The first time is Jacob. The second time is Joseph. Where's the third time? What? Hint is, I, I already gave you the hint. I, right, right, right. By the way, I tell you that many years ago, I used to teach in a law firm. I came from Israel. It happened to be, I forget what the, we're studying, uh, we're studying Gracious then actually. And it, this Parsha, and I talked about this, and the guy was so taken with this, I, with the Shear actually, so taken with it, person who teaches her. And he sort of became my Talmud Chaver for life actually. He followed me around every place because of that Shear. The third time it appears is with Jacob and Joseph in the following story. Stories at the end of Jacob's life. He goes down to Egypt and he, he wants to give a blessing to Joseph. He wants to build the family because the, the missing piece in the family is, is Yosef. Yosef's a Mitzrayim and Yosef is married to the Egyptian woman. And he travels around with his uh, chariot, you know, with his uh, Pharaoh's chariot. And he's Tzavdas Paneach. And he's married, his father was the priest of Egypt. So in short, right? Right. So ja Yaakov says to Yosef, Yosef brings his, Yosef, Yaakov's dying. So Yosef brings his sons to Yaakov. Yaakov says, who are these children? Who are they? Miela, who are they? Oh, these are my sons. Oh, really? I want to bless them. So he sounds like he doesn't even know what he's doing, right? He's so old. He can't see. He's blind, he says. He can't see. He says, who are they? And then, of course, he blesses them the way, as we know, he, put, he blesses them together. The, the, the two boys he blesses together. Menashe and Ephraim, he switches his hands. Puts his right hand on the head of, of Ephraim and the left hand on Menashe. And Yosef gets him, Yosef tries to pull his hand away. But he smoke. He pulls, he goes, he pulls his, the old man's hand. He's trying to pull his hand off the head. You're making a mistake, father. You know, no, this is the, this is the one. You're confused, right? No, this. So Yaakov says, That's He refuses. It's one of the great moments in the Chumash, actually. Yodati b'ni Yodati. 
I may be old and I may be blind, but believe me, I know a lot better than you. Of course, the Chumash that he does. Yodati b'ni Yodati. I know much better. You're right. They're both great. And they get a joint blessing, but this one's greater yet. So Vayimma'ain over there is very interesting. I would say that the, the goal of Yaakov in Mitzrayim is actually, it says he blesses Joseph. It's interesting, isn't it? He blesses Joseph. Vayivarechet Yosef. The goal of Yaakov, the real goal, is to include Joseph in the family. Because let's face it, nobody can actually stand the guy. That, that's clear. The brothers can't take it, and the brothers don't trust him either. They think he's going to kill him. The last end of the home. So how do you include him in the family? And Yaakov's thinking is, you include him through his children. They may not like Yosef, they have nothing against his sons. The nephews they like. So you include Joseph, and actually a double portion of Joseph, through the children. And that's, that's Yaakov's goal. As if Yaakov is saying, listen, my son, when you were missing for so many years, I never gave up on you. I always thought we can keep you in the family. You don't believe that now I'm going to give up on that dream, do you? By going your path, which is to give Menashe, which means forgetfulness, primacy, that's not possible. Menashe can't be primary because Menashe represents forgetfulness. Joseph said it. Ephraim is different. Ephraim is God is causing to be fruitful in the land of my suffering, which is Mitzrayim. Ephraim represents an understanding that Mitzrayim is not our place. So I have to do it my way. Afterwards, you can, you have to give back to you, but it's got to be my blessing. So that's the Vayimma'en. So Vayimma'en is actually a Jacob word. And what's interesting is that in the book of Yirmiyahu, Yirmiyahu follows through with this. He takes it to the next step. Because in the book of Yirmiyahu, which has very little consolation in it, but there are two or three chapters of consolation. They both have Torahs, by the way. We're always looking for consolation in the Haftorahs. And one of the Haftorot, very beautiful, is the one that we read on uh, Rosh Hashanah. And on Rosh Hashanah, it's one of the most beautiful sections of the Bible. Merachok Hashem Nirali, right? Matzachen ba midbar amsiri dechareb. It's the second day Rosh Hashanah, the Haftorah. How does it end? It ends with Kobra ma nishma. There's a, there's, a, there's a cry in Ramah, right? What's the cry in Ramah? Rachel mevakar banera. Rachel cries for her children. And what's the continuation? She refuses, Rachel refuses to be consoled. Which of course is what the Chumash says about Yaakov when they come to console him. Refuses to be consoled. And he refuses to be consoled about whom in that story? Jacob. About, about Joseph. How is Joseph described in the Chumash in Sefer Bracious, typically? A Nenu. He's a Nenu. Right? You have it several times. He's, he's not dead. In one place they say he's dead, but only one place. Typically, Jacob says it. Yosef Einenu v'Shibon Einenu. That's what the, the guy who came to write my quest, his name, Shibon Yosef is his name, actually. Yosef, Yosef Einenu v'Shibon Einenu. Einenu. So Rachel is described by Yirmiyahu as being a Jacob person. Right? Rachel Mavaka Bonera, right? Right? Jacob was crying when he, right? Jacob cries, right? Vayevko Tawaviv. Oh, it means Jacob cries. No, no one has to cry for Joseph. But Yaakov cries for Yosef. He sees the potential in Yosef. Loves Joseph. And Vayimayin hit Nachem on the one that's a Nenu. 
So the point is that what Yirmiyo does in this book is he has the figure of Jacob, which is the one who is Yaakov, right? Which here is represented in a negative way. He, he, the, the one who speaks falsely in deceit can never write, he, he, he refuses to know me, because if you're talking deceit, how could you know God? But later in the book, typically, he takes the very same phrase, right? And there it's not Jacob himself, but a Jacob character, which is Rachel. And there in Yermio, he presents Rachel as a kind of Yaakov figure. And she's the one who's crying, and she's the one who is refusing to be consoled, and she's the one who's refusing to be consoled about her children who are, who are, who are missing, or who are, who are a nenu. So you have in Yermio, he's very, he, he takes this theme, takes the language, and he transposes it to, 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 to Rachel. The Rachel of Yermio is very different than the Rachel of the Chumash. I mean, the, you can see already in the Chumash that Rachel is, in some respects, very similar to Yaakov. For example, so it's not coming out of nowhere. He what? With, that's with Lava. In other words, no, they both, they both steal, right? They ignore Yaakov and Rehbo Avan, but ignore But I'm talking something else. That in the case of Jacob, the story that actually is the transformative story of Yaakov in the Chumash is the story where Jacob is wrestling with this mysterious person, angel, and he becomes a different person. He's not just Jacob. As Jacob, he can't cross over. He only crosses over when he becomes Israel. And in that struggle, right, he's wrestling with this angel, however we understand it, and he becomes a different person. And this, the, the other person or angel says to him, your name is not Jacob, it's Israel, Israel. Because you have wrestled with God and with angels, right? With humans, and you have prevailed. That's, that's the, it's the transformation of Yaakov. That phrase, struggling and wrestling and prevailing, appears one other place in Sefer Bereshit, actually. Who said a similar, not identical, but a very similar thing. It's after, right? It's after Rachel gives Yaakov her slave, a servant, as a wife, Bila. And she has two children. First is Don. And Rachel names the child Don. God has judged me. And the second is Naphtali. Naphtulei Elohim Niftalti. Imachoti Gam Yocholti. Right? Yeah. Whatever Naphtulei. Naphtulei is a difficult word. In modern Hebrew, what is Naphtulei in modern Hebrew? I think it's an obsession, isn't it? It's negative, right. Well, obsession is negative. Right. Naphtulim in modern Hebrew, I would think, has to do with obsession. But, 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 naftu, but the, the Mepharshim in the Chumash, who talk about Naphtulei Ohim Niftauti, they relate it to the word Petilim. Petilim are like cords, right? Things that are wrapped around each other. And Naphtulei Ohim Niftauti is very similar to a in other words, being tied together with something. It's two people struggling, holding on to each other and struggling. And Rachel says about herself, I have struggled with my sister, but I have prevailed. In my struggle, I have prevailed. 
And the angel said about Jacob, Sarita Vayeoveki Shimo, Aravotashakar, Sarita Nohibiamarashim Vatuchao, you have wrestled and you have prevailed. So the idea of struggling and wrestling, though it takes a different form, the idea of Rachel as being this one who is very spunky, I would say, and very determined and has a goal and doesn't give up. It keeps trying. She wants to have children. She keeps trying. Hovery Bonin, take Billa. You have the mandrakes. You have the trophy. She dies in childbirth and she's struggling. At the end of the day, she's able to, she has the children. And then, of course, Menashe and Ephraim are more children for Rachel. But so, so in the Chumash already, you get a sense that there's something, Rachel and Jacob have something in common. He loves Rachel. But Yemio takes it to a different place, which is not the negative necessarily. It's wholly positive. She's the only person who doesn't give up hope. She's the only one. Same as Yaakov and Yosef. But Yefko Tel Aviv, the rest of the family, let's, let's move on with life. You know what I mean? Okay, Joseph, okay, sad story, whatever. Forget it. But Yaakov says, no, I, I never forget it. I, I, he's crying the whole time. He ref, absolutely refuses to give up. So that's the, here in chapter 9, in the Haftorah, Tishabov, here it's negative, right? Here's the Mirma. And as long as they're Mirma, you can't actually know God. So what you got to do is rid yourself of the Mirma. So here, he doesn't suggest how, how you can do that, but here there's a reference to, he singles out, it's very striking, he singles out this particular story about the brother, about the Ach, and about the friend. Yes, but, but yes. That's also good. That's also very good. It's very good. It's, by the way, it's, here's what I want to say one thing what Suri said, which is this. You take it as a compliment, but it, it is a compliment. But here's the point. When you're on the right track with something, you, you, you see a million things. That's the truth of it. Right. Okay, so, yeah. When you compare the story of love and take to Mitzrayim, which you always do. Yes, of course. This, this is one of them because the, the word swa is also used with Paro. It is, of course. So that's how it's in right. my head. It is true. It's used in, actually in Yisrael. Ekoat Tlaa Shem Asamaderach. Yes, yes. Right, yes, it's true. It is that true. It's also in Vayra, 100% true. It is true. Right. Ayosef Paro Hatel. Right, okay. Anyway, this is, yes. Yeah. Sarita, you struggle to be ascendant? Sarita and Elohim, it could be so. I mean, it's playing Israel, obviously. From the word, uh, right, with the word. To, by the way, it reminded me, since you, um, where is that? Hold on a second. Is it in uh, Hosea, maybe? One second. Hosea, let me just check one, one thing very quickly. Hosea, it's in Treos, but it's earlier, actually. Hosea is the first of Treos, so let's see if we can find this verse. Where is this verse? Hold on one second, one second, one second, one second. Hold on one second, one second, one second, one second. Where is this verse? The verse is about Yaakov. Yaakov. I'm not going to. It's one of the half Torahs, actually. Where, where, where is it? Where is the verse? One second. 
frustrating. I believe it's the Haftorah for Parshas Vayetze, I think. Where is that Haftorah for Parshas Vayetze? You have anybody have a chumash with the Haftorahs there? It's your Bar Mitzvah Parsha, Bar Mitzvah, so let's see, let's see here. Son, oh, you didn't, okay, well, whatever. Yeah? Where is it? I thought it's in Hosea, but I could be wrong about that. Where is this? Annoying. Take, where is it? Where is it? What chapter? I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. Where is that puzzle? I can't find that puzzle. Yeah. You'd gimbal. Who's you'd gimbal? Oh, maybe. Okay. Where is it? I can't. Searching high and low for this puzzle. Where's where's the puzzle? Right. So where's the puzzle? I don't see it. Chapter thirteen of what? No, it is Hosea, right? It says chapter 12. Chapter 12. Pasuk Yud Gimel. Yeah, but that's not the Pasuk I'm looking for. Oh. Oh. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. <laughs> right, right. No, it's... Okay, maybe you know something. It's, we're taking too much time in this. It's, it just bothers me here. Yeah. No, it's, The Pasuk I'm thinking of is Babetan Okaves Achiv. Where is that possible? Where? Yeah, here it is. You're right. You're right all the time. Right. It is Hosea. It's chapter 12. Right. 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 Babetan or Kavet Achiv. Uva ono Sarah. That's why I mentioned it. Uva ono Sarah et Elohim. Vayosar el Malach Vayuchal. That's it. So this is, right? In the womb, he tried to supplant his brother, Yaakov. In his strength, he strove with a divine being. So rather taking to strive. He strove with an angel. He prevailed, right? The other had to or the other cried, doesn't say it in the Torah, but that the prophetic understanding, and he implored him. Jacob met him at Beit Eo and there communed with him. The point is, so you see already that the Nevi'im, Babetan Okavet, Ochiv, their Okavet is less of a negative, I think, to wrestle with, to try to overcome. But in Yermiel, Kol Yaakov is certainly negative. And he plays, see how the prophets are playing with that story. With the Yaakov, with this, with the Sarah, with the right, these, you see this transformation. That's it's very, very important. Okay, yeah, yes. No, that's not true. We'll see. We will see that actually. We'll see in Yirmiyahu, he talks about Shabbos, specifically about Shabbos. So does Yeshayahu. We'll get there. It's one of the later Shiurim. We'll get there. 
No, usually it's, usually it's generalities. Well, we, we, will, we will see. But it's interesting, you're, you're right in general. But what actually the example you gave is very striking because in Yirmiyo, later on, there's a long section about Shabbos. You also have it in, in other prophetic, right? You have it in, in, in Yeshayo as well. By the way, I would say just in general, the connection between Yirmiyo and Yeshayo was a very good question. Yeshayo was earlier. And it's pretty clear that there's an influence of Yeshayo upon Yirmiyo. But we don't know exactly Yirmiyo's, who Yirmiyo's rebbe's were. We know that there seems to be some, we know that he's taking the Chumash, obviously, and playing off that. It would appear that certain sections, which we'll get to, are certainly they're found in Yeshayo with a little different language. And then the, the, uh, the claim that, I haven't checked this out myself, and I'm very skeptical about these claims, but there certainly are commonalities between Hib's prophecies and some of Hosea. But the one who's actually singled out, there are commonalities. And I'd say it's a Rebbe, would be a little prophet called Tzephania, little three-chapter prophet Tzephania, who has many commonalities with Yermio. What do you want to say, though? Yes. That's possible. But I, I will say the following. You could be right. But the but there's another point, and that is that sometimes in biblical Hebrew, the the, the reflexive form, the hitnachem, is not reflexive, but rather kind of intensive. So you have to check that out. Sometimes they we hit, right? Right. We, exactly. We uh we we hit paleo is understood to that's possible. It's possible that it means to judge yourself, but it's equally possible that it doesn't mean to judge yourself. But it means with Farel. Farel, he prayed, and Rehit Parel is an intensive form of Parel. So it doesn't necessarily, when you pray, there is always an element of self judgment in prayer. That's for sure. If I'm asking for something, maybe I don't deserve it. That could be so. But the word Rehit Parel itself, I think it's an open question whether it means to judge oneself or whether it means to speak in a very intensive and powerful way. But you could be right. Okay, yeah. As he does, right. And so, um, and then to Mirmet, which if you're thinking of this as poetry, you think of the sound. So what is the relationship, even show is right, between, does a Rea can become a good neighbor or a bad neighbor? It's the same show as of evil. You know, Sammy, I'm not sure it's the same show. I have to check that out. But I would say the following. First of all, that it is poetry. And that poetry works so does prose, but even poetry even more so works with associations. The first two words we saw this morning, asof, asifem, no mashem. Asof, asifem are two different words. One is asaf, and one is, it's alliterative. So the, you have in the uh, poetic writings for sure, and as you say, before it was written down, it probably was spoken, right? So the point is, um, it's hard to know whether I think sometimes the connections between words are not necessarily uh, uh, connections that you would find in a dictionary. But the more the way people speak, the more, you know, kind of, as you say, uh, alliterative. Maybe it's memory driven as well. It's a good question, but 
the, the point being that in poetry, you have much more kind of freedom you have in poetry, poetic license. I think that's very important then, because the, the, the message is what's important over here. And the use of language is a, a way to get us to, to accept the message or, 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 or to remember it. A song is the same way. Write down the Shira we have in Devarim. Songs, when you, you know, when you, have, you remember the words of the song very often, you wouldn't remember it without the song. When you remember the song, you also remember the words. Could be. It's possible. It's very hard to know. You know, the truth of the matter is that the line we talk of prose and poetry, the line between them is not always clear. There's, it's, it's not that it's the prose or poetry. There's a kind of mythic prose, and that's different. And it's not poetry either, but it's not exactly prose either. So sometimes you can tell. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's very hard to tell. Yes. That is actually an important point in the book. The claim that's made by some who write about the book of Yirmiyahu, the claim that's made is, he, he, we know where he's from. He's from uh, Anatot. We actually know where Anatot is today as well. So the edge of the it's the edge of the desert actually. The claim that's made by some, I am not the person who knows anything about this, but the claim is that the place where Yermio comes from, and I love the imagery of the of the what grows there, is imagery that he uses because in the area in which he's living, that's what grows in, in those areas. So it's true that you know whether it's the grapes or the whether it's the zayat or whatever it is, it could be a function of, you know. What, he, what he's experienced in his own life, given the geographical location of, of where he's from. That's certainly possible. That's true. Right. No, agreed. Of course, abandoned. But I mean, it's, but it's the land that he remembers. Okay, let me, let me see. Let me just continue a bit more. So this is, we're now coming towards the end. of What time is it now, by the way? I have absolutely no clue. 10 after 11? Okay, 20 minutes. Okay. So, um, fine. So now we have, uh, let's just, let's continue with the Haftorah of Tishabab, which is what we're doing. And now if you look at chapter 9, towards the end of chapter, verse 11, we have, we have the image over here, the picture over here of desolation, already in verse 9. For the mountains I take up weeping and wailing. So nothing's happened yet, but he's, the, he's imagining whether Yemiyo is speaking or it's not clear, or God speaks, I don't know. He's imagining the desolation and already taking up a lamentation, the kina, right? And then, two verses later, the wise person, who was who wise that will understand? Why did this happen? Why has the earth been in ruins? So the answer is, The answer is the abandoning of, of the Torah, which is my teachings. So it's not even abandoning me, says God, actually, which the Medrash breaks up. It's abandoning my teachings. If and wisdom means, the wisdom means to understand what God is demanding of us, to understand the Torah, to understand the teachings. So the problem is, we don't have wisdom. That's a theme that runs throughout Yirmiyahu. 
the lack of wisdom. And lack of wisdom, which is a Devarim theme, found first in the book of Devarim. The Torah is, a verse that the Rambam loved very much, for good reason, and very typical of the Rambam. So the idea of not having wisdom. And because you don't have wisdom, all these terrible things before you. And then Yermio imagines, citing in God's name, what will happen after the destruction. And this is found in verse number 16 of chapter 9, towards the end of the Torah of Tishabab, and without question, I think, one of the reasons they chose this particular section for Tishabab. Koamar Hashem Tzvaot, Hitbonenu. Hitbonenu means, here they translate as, as listen, but Hitbonenu, understand, understand. Even in Hebrew, the word Lishmoa, by the way, has two meanings, or more than two. One is to hear, but the other is to understand, to comprehend, to perceive. So Hitbonenu has carries with it, as a, wisen up, you say, you know, wisen up. Listen, but also understand. Call the wailing women that they should come, the Makona note. And call the wise women. So the wailers, the, the, the ones who sing the dirges, those are the women. And they're called, not just Makona note, but they're actually called Chachamot. So there's, there's a wisdom to it. And the wisdom, actually, this is the Avtorah Fetishimov. And the, the, the Medrash picks up on something that's very central to Tishabav, and it's actually the Haftorah, which is the, the Medrash, it appears in many places in the, in the, in the, in the, in the keynote that is recited by the Ashkenazim. It's Friday, most we have keynote for Tishabav. And the point of Tishabav was that when the spies come back, it says, and all the people cried. All the people cried. And the Medrash says, you cried on Tishabav for no good reason. So someday you're going to cry for a real reason. And I think the point of that is, and this is the point of the Chachamot, the wisdom. The wisdom in life is to know what actually we should cry about. We cry about many things. But, but some things are not worth crying about, and some things that we often don't cry about, we should cry. And that re- that's the wisdom. The, to understand what is real, what's basic, what's important, and what's secondary. So here we have, we are Chachamot Shechu V'Tavona U'Tmarhen of the the Petisena Olenu Nehi V'Teirana Inenu Dima V'Afapenu Yisrumayu. Right, and later on in verse nineteen, some of the women, for whatever reason, maybe they understand life better understanding of life. Actually, Kisham Kishaman and Nashim Dvar Hashem V'Tikach Oz Nechem Dvar Piv V'Lameda B'Notechem Nehi. So, so listen, O women, he says, to the word of God, and teach your daughters. Teach them to how to, how to lament. And uh, a woman should teach her friend. Lamentation. The day of Tishabav, the book of Eichel is called the book of Lamentations. Say for Kinot, we call it Eichel because of the first word. But the tradition calls it the book of Kinot. It is ascribed in the tradition to, to Yirmiyahu, actually. And there are many commonalities between the book of Yirmiyahu. And Yirmiyahu himself, one can see him as the great lamenter. In fact, what's very interesting is that we know from a different book that he actually writes a, a, his, 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 his lament. 
Where do we find that Yirmiyo writes over meant? By Yekonein, what is it? It's, in, it's one of the keynotes. It is one of the keynotes, 100%, and it's taken from the book of Divrei Hayamim, after King Yoshiahu dies, who's a righteous king. Yermio is a prophet during the reign of Yoshio and his children. The children are no good. Sikio and Yoyakim, but Yoshio was a righteous king who's killed at Megiddo. And when he dies, by Yekonein Yermio or Yoshiahu, right? So Yermio wrote writes a lament for Yoshiahu. That's at the end of Divi Hayamim, actually. Let's just find that for a second, if we can locate that very quickly. Take one minute to find it. If we can't find it, we drop it. Let's see. Vayikonin Yermiyo Yoshiyahu. Yoshiyahu is found towards the very end. Where's Yoshiyahu? Chapter 30. Let's find it. 35, he makes the Pesach. Yes, here, I have it. It's chapter 36. Chapter 35 of Givri Hayamim, the very end of the Bible. Unbelievable verse. So, chapter 35, verse 25, Yermiyahu, it says, Yermiyahu composed laments for Yoshiyahu, which all the male and female singers recited in their laments for Yoshiyahu. As is done to this day, they became customary in Israel and were incorporated into the laments. We, the Ashkenazim, actually, on Tisha B'Av, have, have, have a lament. By Yekonin Yermiyo or Yoshio. Now, it wasn't written by Yermiyo. I think it's written by Eliezer Kalir, I believe. But he imagines, Kalir imagines what Yermiyo might have written. It's a very interesting kina. And so you see that Yermiyo himself writes laments. And actually, you can see the book of Yermiyo itself as a kind of lament. And here we have a verse that's very similar to the verse in Divri Hayamim, because there it says Jeremiah wrote a lament. And he taught all the singers to lament. And up until this day, we are reading the... So on the day of Tisha B'Av itself, right? And remember that on Tisha B'Av, it's actually very interesting. So Rabbi Salvechik pointed this out. That on Tisha B'Av, the minig of the Ashkenazim... See, the Sfardim have a different meaning. I don't mean the Sfardim, the Sahari. I mean the real Sfardim. The Edot HaMizrach. They have an interesting, different... We Ashkenazim... Most of us here are Ashkenazim, I assume. So the Ashkenazim on Tishabav recite the keynote after the, after, after the Torah reading. Right? We have Shemona Esrei, and then we take out the Torah, and we read the Torah from Devarim, and we read the half Torah, this half Torah from Yirmiyahu. And after the half Torah, after the half Torah, we, 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 say, we say the keynote. That's the custom to say the keynote in the, in the, after, the, after, after the Torah and the Haftorah. The, the Nusach Svard, not the Nusach Svard, the actual Svardim, don't do that. They say the keynote before the Torah reading. Which actually, when you think about it, makes complete sense because they say the, they say the keynote instead of Tachanun. Normally, the way it normally works is you after the 
Shimon Esri, you say Tachanun. After Tachanun, and you read the Torah. So the Sephardim have do exactly that. But we, for some reason, read the Torah first. After we read the Torah, sit down on the ground, and we say the keynote. So Rabbi Soloveitchik pointed that out. He had his own particular take on it, which is, whether you like it or not, his take was that, his take was that, I'll formulate it this way, his take was that in the Haftorah itself, it says, call the lamenters, they should lament. The Haftorah is an invitation for us, actually, to lament, and he made the argument that lamenting is problematic. Because when you read the laments of Tisha B'Av, there's plenty of complaints in those laments. Attacks upon God, plenty of them. It's the other side, yes, we deserve it, and there's plenty of it. So he always argued that in order to justify our lamenting, our keynote, we start with the Haftorah, where Yermiel says, call, call the women to lament and, and, and teach your daughters, right? They call the, the wise women. They, they know, they're going to teach us what, what to say. So we say that first. That was his argument. It's an interesting argument, but certainly it's true that um, whatever the practice is, that the Haftorah, actually, this section, talks about lamenting, and one can see Jeremiah himself as one who laments. He's in a funny situation. He predicts all the, all the trouble. He's very angry at the people sometimes. He calls to God to destroy them on a couple of occasions. At the same time, he's crying. As he said, I would cry the whole time. And now he says, let's, let's teach, us how to, teach us how to cry. Teach us what, what's worth crying about. So that's the section over here. And the very end of the Haftorah is also very striking. The last verse of the Haftorah, Tishabav, which is almost the end of chapter 9. Now we quote God. So don't glory, says, says God, don't glory in your chachma, in your wisdom. Don't glory in your, in your strength, how strong you may be, or your wealth. But rather, only glory in this. Haskel v'yodoa oti. In haskel means wisdom and knowledge. Somehow to, to, to the degree you can actually know me, says God. Ki Hashem, how can we know God? God is completely other, as Jeremiah himself will say in the very next chapter. However, we know one thing. We know what God wants to do. So it's interesting that this is the end of the Haftorah of Tishabav, and I would say two things. First of all, that Tishabav itself, the day of Tishabav, uh, is two things. It's a it's a day of mourning. Mourning means you're thinking what has been lost. What are we missing? That's what mourning's about. What what don't we have that we need? That's one element of Tishabav. The other element of Tishabav is it's a fast day. And fast days are different. Fast days in our tradition are not about what's missing. I mean, you have to know what's missing in order to try to repair it. The fast days are days of repentance, basically. All the fast days are days of tshuva. So tshuva means you try to make things better. Okay, we're missing X, Y, and Z. How do we go about repairing it? And the Haftorah, actually, which is all about the mourning side of it, all about. But the very last verse, at least, ends on a more positive note. So what do we do about all this, about what's missing? And the answer is, Haskel the goal is to know God. And what's striking is that <coughs> earlier in the Haftorah, it said that you can't know God. That's in chapter 9, verse number 5. 
Shiftecha betoch mirma. You dwell amongst this mirma, deception. Bimirma me'anu da'at otinu ma'ashem. In, their, in your deceit, you refuse to know me. So that last verse of the Haftorah is, you should glory in the ability to know me. So the point is the Haftorah seems to have a movement from the inability to know, and the implicit claim is that if we move away from deceit and move towards honesty, we'll be able to know God, that is to say, not necessarily know God's essence, but to know what God wants of us, which is mishpat, tzedakah, and chesed. Those are the, that's how we end the Haftorah of Tisha B'Av. So just to summarize what we have here, um, just one second, we just summarize what we have, and you want to say something. Um, so here's the, here's the point, I, just to repeat what I started with. The book of Yermio has many, many negative prophecies, many of which are repetitive. I didn't want to dwell just on the repetitive negative prophecies first of all it's not so interesting i don't have that much to say about it but i certainly wanted to pick a couple of them because you can't read the book of yermio without looking at some of the negative prophecies we'll have more of them too so i thought we would pick out a good example of a prophecy that is very uh negative one talks about mourning desolation etc what better prophecy to pick out than the one that we actually assigned to tissue above itself which is, of course, chapter 8 and 9 of Yermio. And there I try to show how the prophet is actually recalling other prophecies, recalling other stories of the Torah, and uh, has a particular take in this chapter on what the problem is. The problem is, of course, other gods appears very prominent in other chapters. In this particular chapter, it strikes me, is more of an emphasis on, 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 on human behavior and human interaction, about deception, actually, about, uh, about betrayal of trust. And that, and that kind of behavior makes it difficult to actually connect to God or to know God's way, to study God's way, which is the study of kindness and, and equity. And that the Haftorah ends on that note of, with this, you should be concentrating not on the other things, but concentrate on how can we come to a deeper understanding. And that's the, at least I think, a positive last verse during the day of Tisha B'Av, which is not just about recognizing what's missing, but beginning at least to think about what can be done to uh, correct some of that. What do you want to say, Sorry. Well, the, the, the contrast that you're pointing out is there's a refusal, a conscious refusal to not know God. It's not that they can't, but they're not capable. If you put your heart to it and your mind to it, you can work on knowing God. It's possible to know God on some level. Right, but not if you, I think if you, I think, I, right, but I think sometimes, sometimes you put yourself in a certain place where it's very difficult to, to know. If you're living in a place and you have a certain kind of culture or a certain place in society, then it's very difficult to be able to somehow escape that and to begin to think. So I think that, yeah. Yep. Right. That is very true. There's no doubt that the book, there's no doubt, I mean, this is, we're not the first to say this. The book of uh, Yermio, and there's good reason for it. The book of Yermio has many, many, many literary connections to Sefer Devarim. 
Because at the end of the day, most of Sefer Devarim, it ends up on a positive note, Zotah Bracha and all that stuff. But most of Sefer Devarim is Moshe reminding us, apart from the, the particular mitzvot, and we will get to some of the mitzvot in Sefer Yirmiya, because he has actually certain mitzvot that he singles out. Shabbat is one of them. Um, but most of the book of Devarim is Moshe, prior to his death, telling people what's going to happen in the future, warning them about God, God's hiddenness. Entering them into a new covenant, but recognizing that this covenant may be broken. And that is front and center in the book of Yermio. So we'll see next week. Uh, maybe we'll talk about how the covenant plays out. There's a lot of different topics here. So we'll see how we proceed. We're not doing every chapter. We'll try to proceed through. Okay, we'll stop at this point and then.